Kiss. You're listening to Ergo. We got a great episode coming up for you today. The incredible visual artist Kane One is here. We get deep into the world of graffiti, talk about balancing commercialism and all that good, heady stuff that we tend to do. But first, some community announcements. On the 9th at Hairpin Art Center is the 11th annual Moments of Justice. It is an event put on by the Chicago Freedom School. It's their big fundraiser. They do such amazing work across the city. And then on November 10th at We Space Chicago, that's 2118 South Halstead, is the opening of In Search of Something More, a solo art exhibition by Myron Laban, who's a friend of the show, and he showed his visual art way back when we did our second WeGo event in 2016. And then Saturday night, the 10th, is the next edition of the Hood Wazee. We're headed down to Hegwish on the southeast side of the city, for a episode on environmental revolution and mom fatales. Basically, there's a squad of moms down in Hagwich who have been fighting the Koch brothers for their environmental poisoning of the land, and they've won, or at least they won one of the fights. So we're going to be talking with them about their work. We actually are providing some transportation. If you don't have the means to get all the way down to the southeast side, there's a sign-up for a charter bus that'll be running from Caminas de Michoacan in Pilsen down to the venue, which is at 10052 South Ewing. Uh, you can find that sign up on the Hoodwazi Facebook page. And then on the 15th is the release party for Jewish Currents, a leftist Jewish magazine that's having a bit of a resurgence. The event is at In These Times at 2040 North Milwaukee starting at 7 p.m. And then lastly, on the 17th, Damon and I are hosting and DJing the Chicago Community Bond Fund's fourth annual end of year party. Barbara Ransby will be speaking, Kenny will be performing. Should be a great time. Make sure you come through and support us at the Preston Bradley Center up in Uptown. You can find all that info on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of the above. So without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Kane One, aka Miguel Aguilar. We have a very special guest with us here in uh, Ergo Studio C. Uh, Kane One is here. Bro, 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 bro. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you never got an animal sound before for an intro. I bet. Never, never. That's oh, the first. Welcome, welcome to the Terra I need the sample. <laughs> Here's the most <laughs> the Terra Dome. Here's the most important question. If you could have one animal sound as your walk-up music, what animal would you choose? Whoa, whoa. Just the the lids right off. Coming out the gate. <laughs> a king penguin. A king penguin. Do you know what sound they make? No. <laughs> <laughs> a king penguin. Penguins are cool, though. So penguins there's an emperor kings. penguin, but there's also a king penguin? Yeah. Nice. Are it's they just a, bigger penguins, or do they have like other traits that distinguish them from a, a, a peasant penguin? I think they're a little bit bigger, and they also have like some like yellow, goldish. Oh, with the little like the thing on his head. Up there, but yeah. also like on their right, on their right, belly. right, right, right. It, it sounds like, like a Happy Feet character. Right, King Penguin sounds like something that like uh, Cameron would say. Like you would have a whole <laughs> verse about King Pin, King Penguin. Hey, hey, Cam, run with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get back to us. You're we'll welcome. Happen. Yeah. So we always like to start the show, uh, except with, for today, <laughs> with a different question, which we'll throw at you now. Uh, in this time, in this moment, in this season, how's the world treating you, and how are you treating the world? Um. You know, it's it's pretty reciprocal. Um, it's been beating my ass a little bit, mm. but on good days, I I feel like I beat its ass a little bit. Too. <laughs> um, so it's like feast or famine. That's been pretty consistent. <laughs> and it's, you know, you get what you put in. So whenever I'm feeling like something's lacking, um, 
I always look back at like what I'm lacking in. Yeah. I love that. We've asked this question hundreds of, cause not even just on the show, just in the world. We've asked this question hundreds and hundreds of times. No one has ever said they're beating the world's ass. <laughs> Every I'm, once in a while. I'm loving the image of that. Like yeah. that is, <laughs> that's a piece right there. Just uh, like, <laughs> so when you talk about feast or famine, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Uh, and that, that, that implies like there are these big kind of spikes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you in a feast or a famine? Or are you somewhere in between right now? Um, I'm, I'm somewhere in between. I think right now I'm being proactive around winter. Winter's always a uh, really slow business wise, financial wise hmm. for for an artist from like well at least in my experience here because um, I paint outdoors a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's seasonal in that sense. But just in in terms of uh, people that do business, even in like marketing or entrepreneur, like yeah. everybody's pockets just automatically like close up around Thanksgiving and even institutional money. Right. Like, and then it's like not until like the first warm day in May that everybody remembers they have a budget. <laughs> and it's like, I've been hollering at you October through February yeah. about yeah, planning stuff out. And then out. all the work comes. Yeah, people yeah. don't know this, but the elite take like a, a three-month vacation every year. <laughs> right. Like all, like major industry <laughs> yeah, shuts down, down like a week before Thanksgiving. It doesn't start back up until like January 17th. Mid-January, <laughs> early February. Like It's like, week. oh, it's Black History Month. Okay, let's... <laughs> <laughs> gotta make a shoot yeah let's check that off <laughs> the office might be open but nobody's doing anything not the, the boss the boss isn't there <laughs> everyone's fucking around maybe they're having a holiday party you yeah. have to go to work yeah but. oh yeah no you're working hr is there for sure <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> hr is always there oh they're there christmas yeah, eve christmas <laughs> day the, the Toby Flanagan's of the world the countdown are, New Year's <laughs> five four three two one um, I can't think of anything other than Toby when it comes to, are you an office person like did you watch the I office? started getting into it just in the last couple of months yeah. this is an exciting yeah, this exciting is the time for I feel like no other thing because like The Office was out it was obviously a popular show but to become such a cultural phenomenon like I didn't know nothing about it I didn't hear office references every day it is now a part of my daily life (laughs) (laughs) it is really interesting like i don't know we can we can actually talk about the office a little bit because there's a lot of conversation they always tried to reboot it um (laughs) and everybody gets all excited and then it's like nah that's not gonna work uh and i think part of the beauty of it is that it was made in a time that's different from the the social consciousness of right now and so it it's able to satirize it or be satire in a way that would probably like be too close to home right now. Right. But for us who have this consciousness now, looking back at like an older time and watching this satire of like white capitalist, yeah. you know, you know, homophobic, racist, yeah, like really silly shit is is really refreshing for right. us in this. Like, and they were smart enough at the time to satirize it in the moment. Yeah, like that's they were good enough then that they could do that. Right. But it took maybe they were ahead people. of the curve. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's funny about that is that I understand what you're talking about and how mm-hmm. like the humor still operates because I don't know, I don't know if it's like um, the amount of distance has lagged mm-hmm. of time. But thinking about that same concept and looking back at Eddie Murphy Raw, mm-hmm. it's just like really like 
I'm like, this shit ain't funny no more. Yeah, yeah. Like, it doesn't it hold up. Like, yeah. Not at all. And delirious. Right. Delirious because like the first 10, 15 well, minutes is just like. The opening bit is tough. Is, is, yeah. It's, yeah. Because like when I first saw it, like was watching, I'm like 18, 19. Like I was, I knew it was wrong, but I was able to get a chuckle out of it. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, oh, let's we can actually like skip 20 minutes into this. Right. Yeah. yeah. And there's nothing wrong with skipping 20 minutes. It can, yeah. You can still have its, it can still have its value. <laughs> you know what I think, and this is not for like a political reason, but just from a like aesthetic reason doesn't hold up is in living color mm. have you ever tried to go back and watch it in living color sketch go back like no. i was there for it. i was <laughs> a year and a half my parents did not have me watching fly girls then huh yeah no, what, i'll have to check it out okay. what were you living color because i agree I've, we've never had this conversation yeah. we're admitting this live, live but, not live but well, it, we're alive <laughs> but it didn't do it for me yeah as i've as i've seen it Let, really let's go back to like 92 you what was 92 you doing it was wild. Mm-hmm. It was definitely what kind of wild? Um, so I was a junior at Ignatius, mm. and I was um, already definitely. I was driving since I was twelve, <laughs> and so I was like taking the car. I think my uh, remember when you asked us not to let you implicate yourself? <laughs> yeah, no, nah, this is fine. This is fine. Okay. The uh, unless your parents are listening. <laughs> <laughs> the driver's ed teacher would get mad at me for driving up to driver's ed. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, at least park around the corner. <laughs> like, try to fool me. I can't actually give you your license if I see you driving into the parking lot. So I had to, like, do that type of stuff. But um, 92- Make me feel relevant. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what are we doing here? You sh- you're just shitting on my whole thing. <laughs> Who is the captain? <laughs> but, um, I mean, I think I was juggling a lot and staying, like, responsible, all mm-hmm. things considered. I was still doing all my homework and then, <laughs> like, going out and painting rooftops mm. and then um, taking, like, drawing and photography. And most of the time, junior and senior had, like, double drawing and double photography. Well, mm. um, and then, like, spending lunchroom and, like, uh, free periods inside the studios at school. But definitely, definitely, like, tagging during the week um trying to do pieces on the weekends yeah and you had a lot of extracurriculars <laughs> yeah. yeah and like, this you know exhausting. um and partying like partying was like a major major component like mm-hmm. it was an integral cog in everybody's life mm-hmm. um teenage life yeah like not even like 21 and over club life it was like definitely like we're talking house parties undergrounds talking, yeah. like warehouses mm-hmm. raves Mm. Like huge cash only budgets, like hmm. a legit abandoned warehouses, like definitely without a hitch. Yeah. Like going well. <laughs> like um I remember going to a party freshman year in a space up here kind of close by that is like all luxury condos now. Hmm. Mm. But I got dropped off like the way I got dropped off going to high school. I was like, hey, I'm gonna go to this party. Can you drop me off at like 10 and then picked me up like at 2 in the morning and I was like 13 or something you know? yo I, you just made me feel so whack like my, my high school experience was nothing like that I feel like a straight core ball we gotta we gotta break this down I gotta I gotta figure this out how you were able to live this marvelous life so who was throwing these parties other high school kids People, yeah, like, um, <laughs> so, the, yeah. Other 14-year-olds? <laughs> what is going on? Very savvy. I, I think the first high school party I went to, um, John Monopoly threw it. 
Okay. I was in high, I went to, uh, to school with John for, John. For, for, for folks who don't know, yeah. I could, go ahead. You probably can can say his bio a little bit better. Why he's so significant? I'm probably too close to it. Y'all should say. Okay. Kanye's first yeah. major manager and now supposedly current manager again. Okay. So often, like when there is a uh, an up and coming hip hop person in Chicago, there is a John Manop relationship reference. <laughs> Yeah, connection in some way, and that only gets chopped off once it gets intimate. It's just John Manop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how you know you've made it. Yeah, once you got the, once you can drop the only, once you, and then you don't even need the job. What you just say, I hit up Manop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that means you're in the game. That's Chicago royalty, right there. <laughs> that's like his 45 jersey. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like the OG high strikers. And you're like, oh, John John. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. See, you see, that's another level. You're a different generation. We we don't have access to the John <laughs> the John. 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 <laughs> that that's you know. That's, I don't think there's anyone who I call by their name twice. <laughs> Not even just John. There's no like Ron Ron. There's no Frank Frank in my life. Like I don't know any two his names. His last name is Johnson. So it's oh, John Johnson. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, you need. You need a nickname. Yeah. <laughs> Goody went with Monop. If you get John Johnson, you're going <laughs> to... You're gonna need a nickname. You, you, oh. That alias is is now a, a, a he requisite. Was working on it early, you were starting to tag. He was like, "I need it. Let's, let's scribble down some nicknames here." <laughs> so you're talking about, you know, at that point, you're 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 doing pieces on rooftops. You're all over the city, um, and then now, you know, coming back and passing by spots that you were hanging out at or putting up pieces on then, and seeing them as luxury condos. And we talk a lot about like how the city changes and gentrification and all that on the show. But specifically from the lens of someone who uses walls space, for your yeah. as your craft space, um, what are some of the ways that the privatization and corporatization of the city has like shrunk your canvas? Uh-huh. Oh, time out, time out. Great question, Daniel Kinsley. Let's just <laughs> let's just do that. Everybody at home, I hope y'all appreciate. That was just ah, that was some critical thinking yeah, before noon. Succinct. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna right edit in it. That's getting edited out. <laughs> no, leave it for the now. People. I'm gonna leave it because yeah. I got a lot. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if it's shrunk my canvas really. It's uh, you know, getting back to around kicking the world's ass on a good day. Now I get paid to paint inside these corporate offices. Hmm. And it's, um, you know, in this political time, I'm a firm believer that our biggest power is in our dollar. So um, whenever I get paid by big corporations, I'm really conscientious about where that money goes to, how I navigate from that mm-hmm. point moving forward. Yeah. So I pay the bills, but also like, am I buying extra material to do other work for free that I wouldn't? otherwise not have the opportunity to or even if i'm sometimes it just comes down to like giving free art materials out to the community Mm -hmm. um so i i I think that's my cycle my ecology Hmm. my personal like way of navigating between like community work and big sort of exploitative corporate work yeah Mm. how did you um how'd you get to a place where you had a balance in that because i can imagine when those first corporate calls come being like, oh no, what do I, what do I do? Yeah, <laughs> like if you, you've been raging against the machine for a long time, then the machine wants you to rage inside with a little less rage. Yeah, I think he's it, on fire, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, you, I put on a persona for the time being. There's, uh, there's no way that these people actually really want to be my friend. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, like when the clock ticks, and sometimes it's like. If I start on a gig on Thursday and it's not over till Sunday, 
like I just I put on the persona hmm. and I secure the bag and then it's peace out. And it's not um, it, marketing is such a fast paced industry mm-hmm. and you got to be understanding of how it operates, not how it how you can operate in it or mm-hmm. not that it's going to like focus on you or sustain you. Like, right. I think that's a, a, the delusional part. So you got to understand from the other side of the table that they need something fresh and new hmm. every five seconds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be like, oh, we put you on, we're putting you on for the next five years consecutively. Hmm. It's like, so it's the revolving door. Right. And as soon as you understand that, then you can start playing, I think, and planning strategically. Yeah, but if you go in expecting not to be used and then you get used, <laughs> right? then you're going to be hurt. But if you know the game... So why why play that game? Is it because that started? But is that how you do you play that game? Because that's the way to pay your bills, and that's the way to then also be in this in that ecological cycle. Yeah, totally. I could do like I could make a month in a day, and then the rest of my month I could like do artwork yeah. stuff that's not going to pay off. Like actually be a fine artist, mm-hmm. and um, and then you know just like I think wandering and wondering and lingering. Mm. is a luxury Mm -hmm. i learned that in undergrad Hmm. um in my painting our painting sessions at the art institute are six hour studio days and so if you sign up for a painting class whatever day that is like for 15 weeks Hmm. you're just open to think about shit can i swear in this we're not gonna stop you okay (laughs) so like i think um those are real formative like 19 to 22 year old like for me Mm -hmm. Like the luxury of like laying down on a couch and having materials in a painting studio and trying to find inspiration or just trying to figure out a narrative or think of like a strategy or an aesthetic or a process or something I want to experiment with and being able to like run from the painting studio to the print department or to make a hologram real quick or to go screen print. And then if I get stuck, like use my ID and just walk into the museum and see everything in the last 500 years <laughs> yeah. and then be like oh that's what they did I'm gonna leap off of that idea and come back yeah. like that in that fluidity that immediacy of that access yeah. it's like mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much of a privilege that was hmm. and it bit me really hard hmm. so after I graduated I expected the entire world to operate like that for me <laughs> and when it didn't I was like what the fuck yeah, is going man. on yeah, yeah. Like, y'all messing with my chill time. yeah right. <laughs> like don't you just see like this BFA in my hand, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> so like I had to really kind of reconstruct that for myself. Hmm. Um, and I think I'm kind of getting close to that point now. Mm. So that's been a minute though of figuring out Oh how yeah, to do it's been that. like two decades. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's, it's tricky. So to go back to something you said a little earlier, which was that they don't want to be your friend. Mm-hmm. What do you think they want other than something new? Is that it? Um, and that's what they want from your art, but what do they want from you? yeah. I think the the part that makes me appealing is the the teacher voice, the mm-hmm. explaining things, the um, non confrontational. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's really bad if somebody meets me as the first graffiti writer they've ever met, and then they think the whole graffiti community is as nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. I'm I'm like I have uh, a graffiti friend, right? Yeah. <laughs> Like, I can't be an art elite. Yeah, I have a graffiti have a friend. Graffiti friend. <laughs> and then they try to go to like a graffiti party with, yeah. uh, with actual writers that are yeah. just like, I'm gonna come out them pockets, yeah, like yeah, yeah. run out them Jordans. 
Like, yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. So, <laughs> so one, uh, just just to put in conversation with your, your relationship to uh, SAIC reminds me a lot of our conversation with Nico Washington. Y'all got a relationship, Nico? Oh, just in passing, like we're yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, we're so he's probably like you know, in a, there's definitely you know an age difference, but he's definitely articulated that same feeling of, of how that mm-hmm. institutional access really uh, ha- has has shaped him. But back to the corporate space. So you, I think you really uh, explained well your like personal individual relationship to those institutions and like kind of how you rationalize and your balance. And so beyond you collectively, this is something I just wrestle with. So I, I would like to uh, process it with you as artists. Uh, like we know we need these resources to sustain ourselves and we know that these institutions have the resources, but collectively they operate in a way that are harmful or, or, or make the resources scarce in the first place. Yep. And so how either, you know, collectively as artists or you know you personally how do you kind of reconcile that of like oh man they they might use this shit for harm you know you know what i'm saying or or use this to put themselves in a position that will make them more harmful oh i was with you until that last piece so the idea i mean i don't know so i don't know which actual corp i'm not trying to get you in any trouble but i don't know which actual corporations you have a relationship with but the idea of corporate power increasing overall Mm -hmm. Right. Then, you know, they have more money for lobbying. They have more money to defund. They they wouldn't do it if it didn't help them. Right. If they are helped, that might be detrimental to the world. Often the bigger a company gets, the more harmful they're going to be. Absolutely. So what do you think about that? Um, (laughs) No pressure. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, I I think it's just a rap, like already. Like it's inescapable. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Capitalism is inescapable. It's it's about like what... um, what allows you to sleep at night? Mm. Like, what's that look like? That mm. formula, and that's individual. I don't mm-hmm. think you know that's a one-on-one. But um, yeah, there's definitely moves that you can make that will keep you up at night for sure. So, mm. what does allow you to sleep at night? I think um, really fighting tooth and nail, overcharging as much as possible, mm-hmm. um, and then turning around and putting people on, mm-hmm. like. Uh, I don't necessarily need to write that in my contract or I don't need to like go on a spiel about it with my client. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm like thinking as I'm building out my budget, like for my proposal, I'm like, I'm going to hire this person or I know somebody's out of work in the hood or I got a student or somebody just like yeah. has been a mentee that's been uh, like really interested. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, here's an opportunity where I could like throw mm-hmm. them cash. Right, right, right. Or, and so like I do all that on the my finesse. End. Right. Yeah. Contractual finesse. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So are there any decisions that you've made in the past that have been learning decisions that have kept you up at night? Um, mm. I think just taking it personal like was <laughs> super hard for me in my 20s because I'm just like, yeah, like the world should work in my favor. Like, I'm so dope. Yeah, right. <laughs> what the f- like, what are y'all, yo? And you're just like completely Why? oblivious to like institutional racism right. and, s- and systemic oppression and right. have no idea what any of that looks like or hmm. how it operates or how it started the country. Right. And so it's like, you're like, yo, where's uh, where's all the phone calls? Yeah. Like, you know, right. uh, how come emails aren't dropping in? And like, yeah. Yeah. And that was probably pretty close to the beginning of email too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
I'm, I'm just being yeah, funny. Yeah, that, 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 was, was, that was real funny. <laughs> so real quick, uh, you know, putting people on, you know, people coming up. Let's just do it. Let's just shout out some of the folks that need to be put on, that you're putting on. Who, who are some of the people that um, should be in these conversations? Like my last apprentice for my studio, shout out to uh, Janet Pacheco. She was really amazing. Um, and we had like a six-month apprenticeship from January through June. Mm. Um, you know, my girlfriend Gabby for sure. Like mm-hmm. we've had a bunch of like really smart conversations and we got a lot of strategy in place for moving forward together. Um, so we got a lot of collaborative things in the works. Yeah. Um my homie Rafa Roswell, like just like on some homie stuff, he kind of grew up taking a lot of the classes that uh, myself and Chucho were teaching for a long time. And I never really paid attention. I just talk out of my ass when I'm in front of people and even in yeah. classrooms. And I'm just like, you never know what's going to land and resonate with people. And then like to see him grown up at the bar buying me a drink like yo i remember when you said this and i'm like oh shit remember <laughs> like that kind of stuff you were funny. listening that is one of the funniest things about being a teacher yeah is the the particular strands that stick with people that you one didn't think would stick two you didn't think they were listening and three uh you don't even remember saying that sometimes. <laughs> or the, the part that you're not embarrassed about what you said right, right? yeah it's yeah. like yo oh, that, yeah that was ill like <laughs> yeah like, that's, that's still cool. true like yeah. I, I wasn't on bullshit with you <laughs> it's a ni- it's a nice like uh like reinforcement of like oh i might actually be onto something <laughs> yeah here. right so i want to go into the into the craft a little bit um because most of the work that I've seen of yours has been kind of in the fine art space whether it's on canvas or on a literal wall at the National Museum of Mexican Art, or but we've also been involved in projects together with the Chicago Poetry Block Party where you did the poster and various other little things here and there. Um, and what always stands out to me is the way that you... I just want to talk about color and how you theorize <laughs> about color because it's impeccable the way you do it and it looks like nothing I've ever seen. And... I don't know whether you're a theory brain, but it seems like you are because it feels like there's a whole way of thinking behind how you do it. So how do you, how do you think about color in the specific and in the broad? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like maybe it's a little bit more accurate to ask the question, how has color been working through me? That works. Right. Yeah. And so um, I'm a little bit clearer in understanding this force that has been sort of just... Uh, interwoven throughout my entire experience. Hmm. Um, my grandfather used to take us to uh, Uruapan, Michoacan, um, ever since I was born for two to three months every single summer. And I stopped going when I was like 14. Hmm. So those first 14 summers I spent in, in Me- Mexico. Yeah. Um, and what started to sort of like in my undergrad years and now more recently and coming up from like the last five to eight years, uh, memories have been sort of just recurring Mm -hmm. from those childhood sort of experiences. And I I really started just gravitating to teal, turquoise, magenta, yellow, Mm -hmm. and I had no idea why, right? So it it seems like seemingly disparate. I think in the the early 90s, there was... um, there was Rosolium and Krylon were the two spray right. paint brands that everybody used. And so there was a handful of like rare colors in both of those palettes that were hard to find. But if you had, if you were lucky enough to find them, 
it's not like they were automatically going to make your work better. You right. still had to figure out how to use them correctly. Right. Right. It's like uh, somebody that's never DJed and has like a bunch <laughs> really of CDJs nice decks, and like yeah. all this other yeah. stuff. Yeah. No idea what the hell to do with it. Yeah. Um, the, tool, so, the tools don't make the artist. Right. So I, I started learning around about color with both of those brands in mind as hmm. a graffiti writer. <laughs> um, and then in the late 90s, the the, the market just exploded. So graffiti writers grew up frustrated that they couldn't get a hold of colors that they wanted anymore and started their own spray paint companies. Hmm. So now we got brands coming from Australia, Spain, Germany, Italy, like all these global brands yeah. um, that are just expanding the colors. So if you know anything between like the print industry and like how everything's basically like based off of CMYK. Yeah. Now you can start to look at all of these brands. For those who don't know, CMYK is like the four base colors of printing, right? Right. So for those who don't know. Yeah. So any color is some combination of those four colors. Is that right? Yeah. It's like cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. Um, so as these brands started to pop up and um, distribute to the United States and the palette started to expand, we really started to get um, tints and shades and hues and warm tones and cool tones and just really get like fine detail if you knew what the hell you were doing to begin with. <laughs> um, so like I think in my 30s, I really started to um, gravitate to these colors and um, started to think about like these folkloric dressing of like the Juarez and the Viejitos and there were these parades that we used to go to. I used to get out of school um, like two or three weeks ahead of time, uh, specifically so we could make it to Uruapan for um, hmm. La Virgen de Magdalena. So that was a week-long celebration, like I think May 22nd. And school wouldn't let out to like first week of June. What is going on with the, how Shout I can't to wait to fam. finish this part of the story because I have to get back <laughs> to this child. <laughs> you just get early summer vacation. Yeah. You just you kicking it to two in the morning. Monopoly. <laughs> Who gets to get out of school three weeks early? Shout out to Grandpa. That's great. That's man. This is this you know, is the childhood of my dreams. Yeah, so you would just dip. Yeah, and now like my daughter's like, oh, we go like hang out at bonfires in someone's backyard. I'm like, y'all are lame, but I'm not gonna tell you <laughs> to go do something worse. Like well, you could be going international. You don't even know. There's no cocaine at this bonfire. Right. Y'all know how to. There is not one person taking ecstasy currently at this fire. What are y'all, 15? <laughs> Losers. <laughs> there are no holes in this ceiling. <laughs> anyway, so you were so thinking about color, some yes. of the colors right. of those. Of, of those. Right. Yeah. So like um, the lace and the ribbon and specifically like um, as the dresses move during the dances, I'd have like these slow motion, like wispy, sun washed, like just really warm memories of like seeing those dances slow down. And so I think uh, um, some of my letter structure and the flow of some of my um, mm. outline and contouring of how I designed my letters mm. started like emulating that subconsciously, mm. kind of. Yeah. I've always thought of my letters sort of like as dancing with each other. Mm. And I think that. That comes from me like 
dancing as a househead in the 90s a lot. Yeah, I was about to ask. Um, and, but I think this other layer is seeing this folkloric dance as growing up as a child. So is there a difference between how the househead letters look and the folkloric dance letters look? Like the, the, the shape, <laughs> the form, dancers have a little bit. I think the the folkloric letters have a little more flow, uh, like some uh, longer curves, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, um, it's a little bit more slowed down, and then uh, like the househead stuff has like more of a like a, a visual echo, um, and definitely like harder edges, uh, more striking a- angles. Hmm. It's cool. What a what an interesting way to think about it, being in conversation yeah, with that kind of movement. That's beautiful. Um, so in thinking about that, and of course it made me think of the like cliche elements of hip hop type thing and, and and all that. So I want to ask, you know, we talked a little bit about like the misunderstanding or the misuse or just use of this form in the marketing space. So let's say, but within the like other people that you make things with who aren't, you're not just doing it for the finesse. What are the misunderstandings or the things that bother you about how people think about graffiti? Um, I'm happy with how people think about graffiti oh. right now. Hmm. Uh, You're way cheerier than I am about <laughs> things. This is God. <laughs> like, like, what's your problem with it? You're like, no, no, things are cool. <laughs> things are good. I'm over here beating the world's ass. Right? <laughs> I got nothing to complain about. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was like 93, 94 when the first sort of cool hunters, cool hunters is like a phrase for hmm. like, uh, creative directors in the um, advertising I- industry, mm. and it's like you know they're they're just like the Do, rogue. Is people. that a is that a pejorative? Is that something they self identify as? That sounds like something you would say tongue in cheek. Oh, it's a cool hunter. I think there was something that assigned mm. to people. Okay, like um, just like these crazy like rogue creative directors that like didn't care about like staying with one company or okay, would just so, be like consulting. So it's a good thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah okay. And they were actually the ones that people would like clamor to or companies would be like, we got to get a Jeff Staple in here mm. or that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and, but like one of the earliest ones was uh, um, our friend Roger Gassman, uh, originally from Baltimore, but now lives in LA or um, Maryland. I mean, and so, like, he was the first person from our circle to really start having these conversations at the uh, industry, at the advertising and marketing uh, levels, hmm. saying like, you got to have stop, you know, stop having all this corny generic stuff. Like, start siloing up or understanding that there was like siloing happening at that time, right? Hmm. So, like, the African American market, the Latino market, mm-hmm. right. these were brand new sub departments mm-hmm. in the industry, mm-hmm. right? right. Mm-hmm. For the first time, they were like understanding that those dollars mattered mm-hmm. just as much. <laughs> and so, how do you like stop doing like the generic, general stuff, but also right. like targeting these markets? Hmm. Um, and that's probably speaking to like for better or worse, right? Mm-hmm. right? Like as corporates start to try to understand nuances, they become more powerful. Yeah, um, that's how you get the like our McDonald's websites, yeah, where yeah. there's like the, every every group has a McDonald's website. Yeah, yeah, or the or the the rapper in the the Newport commercial, you know, type right? Feel. <laughs> yeah. Or like there's a a leak. Maybe I, I saw an article I think two years ago on how Pepsi was targeting thirteen year old Mexican boys. Mm. and like the correlation with diabetes mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. stuff like that right right, right. Um, and so that's what what you, you're saying like that's like ni- mid 90s that that's that that siloing is happening yeah, yeah. I, huh. I, I want to say the reason that it's a lot easier which makes sense that's like 15 years after what we call the birth of hip hop 
Well, yeah. and you also have the opening up of other markets. So this is a stretch, but bear with me because it made me think of that when you said the Pepsi diabetes thing. It's also at the same time as NAFTA. So that now all of a sudden, um, uh, yeah. <clears throat> corporations can sell things in countries and in markets that just opened up that they didn't have access to before. And it's a lot easier. Now they have to figure out how do we get play- people in different places with different cultural values to buy the same right. unhealthy product, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing 20 years later all the detrimental effects of that on people's health. You know, the things that like have happened to us for in this country for 30 years in regard to health now happening to people in 20 years because they fine-tuned the way to get people addicted and, and, you know, hooked on soda and fast food. And whether that's in Mexico and Latin America or in the Middle East or other, you know, wherever a Burger King opens up, basically, right. someone did a lot of thought about how to get people <laughs> to buy Burger King there, yeah. you know. So that's not a question. It's just it's just a thought. So you're seeing that in the corporate space and that fine tuning. But how about just in the like your friends who make other types of art space? Like, are there ways that you you know? I think we've talked to other artists about like the crappiness of being like, hey, can you just do some cover art for me? Or like, you know, vocalists who are women often often being like, you know, can you just sing a hook for me or be the? I need a female voice on this. Is there an equivalent that you've experienced for you of things that you learned early on? Like, I'm not gonna have that conversation yeah i think people ask for street art and they don't know what they're asking for Hmm. or people ask for graffiti and they don't understand what they're asking for Hmm. and so i've had to i've had my own learning curve of like uh figuring out that part that Mm -hmm. when i pick up the phone or when i i get that initial email i'm like let's get on a phone as soon as possible yeah and i'm paying attention to like tonation like uh, the delivery, the hesitancies, like, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, I'm pretty much qualifying the other person on the line right now, and I'm seeing where they're at so I can understand what's the quickest way to get the the result that they want yeah. and get this bag and get back to my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, Are there particular buzzwords that you're looking for that indicate different things? Yeah, you know, some people are so afraid of even saying graffiti. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I remember having like a, a <laughs> graffiti, public... graffiti 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 <laughs> <laughs> i had a public uh, a public space at a block party where we set up temporary walls and we had spray paint for anybody to come and try right this is one of like the proactive things that my graffiti institute does just to try to dismantle that stigma associated with black bodies in public performance mm-hmm. so it's like yeah you know you don't have to be scared you try it like here's the materials here's the space um and it's sanctioned but there was a mom that, or there was a, a a daughter that asked the mom what I was doing, and the mom explained it by saying, "He's painting without a brush." Hmm. Like couldn't even say a spray can, couldn't even <laughs> say graffiti. <laughs> it was like the most roundabout way yeah. to sustain white supremacy, right? Mm. And it was like in such a a few handful of words, yeah. but the. The way that, you know, like a Caucasian daughter and a Caucasian mom, it's like they can go on their entire lives the way that that just happened. Right. Mm. right. Just renaming yeah. and rethinking. It's like it's like how white people struggle saying black. It's like a bl- African <laughs> person of color. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I'll finally, I'll finally say it because this conversation just won't keep going if I don't say something. Right. <laughs> so I better come up with something. So. I'm, I'm going to try to make make a question out of this. So everybody bear with me. I just want to say, like, thank you for being here. I really uh, appreciate this time. And I, uh, uh, something I, I enjoy about doing this show is, like, it is actually a, a, a space for me to learn. Cool. And so for me growing up, 
on the south side, you know, 87th Street, so like south, gotcha. south. Uh, <laughs> didn't really, you know, have any contact or awareness that there was a graffiti culture and that there was a b-boy culture because I think, you know, there would be like Pilsen Little Village and the rest of it, a lot of it seems to have been happening on the north side. And so as I'm getting older and like feeling more ownership to hip-hop culture, specifically Chicago hip-hop, right? Uh-huh. Uh, trying to make sure that, you know, I, I have all my bases. So I'm just excited to kind of be going through this history with you and getting your perspective uh, of how it developed. Does, does that uh, ring true? That that kind of like, do you feel like there was a, a line of how far south I used things to, did not go? I used to paint down at 87th and commercial. Oh, e- oh and oh, like e- okay. 93rd and King Drive. Really? Hmm. Okay. Wow, right, um, right. And so there was a there's a crew called Basif Two, that was uh, mostly a black Southside crew. Okay. Uh, artistic uh, used to run it. There was a, there were two fears in Chicago at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we'd say either like Black Fear or Mexican Fear. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so uh, Fear and Artistic and a couple other cats. There was a crew called Down South. Mm-hmm. So DS um, and then. There were a couple of spots. So the hilltop was a spot. Okay. Where's that? Um, it was behind, I think, either a YMCA or a Boys and Girls Club off of like 83rd and Commercial. Okay. Some Metro tracks. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so, and then underneath the expressway, I remember we used to have to park in a cul-de-sac in like a residential area. And it was like right up on how people's houses. We had to act like we were like visiting somebody. <laughs> And then walk. Like, walk up with a bunch cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just walk up the grass uh, into underneath the expressway. And mm-hmm. there were all these expressway retainer walls that just had like full-blown pieces wow. for the longest. Hmm. Uh, and it's funny because these sites geographically would become graffiti magnets. Mm-hmm. So I would see people from the north side, like people that grew up in Uptown, going down there to take pictures, either just visit mm-hmm. and or paint with people. Hmm. And it'd be like, no other damn reason would any of us be down here if right. we didn't, you know, none of us are from the neighborhood. Right. I would have never have interacted with a lot of these people. Going, hmm. going to take pictures. There wasn't even an Instagram to post it on. That's, that's just for That's you. for the culture, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you say that there was a, so how did the, like the broken window policing and criminalization kind of work? Did it work differently in different spaces of the city? Were there places where it was more allowed and more lenient? You know, because I, I connected to the history of like the, uh, what was the name of the law? The ga- there, You know, in the 90s, there was the, the um, like two black teenagers couldn't stand on the corner together. It's a specific. Oh, the um, mob action. Mob action, right? Yeah, and right. so and so I, I feel like that had to play some type of overlap in that same type of approach. Did that like yeah. differ across the city? I think, um, there was like a sweeping move against youth culture. So not only graffiti, <laughs> but skating downtown, mm. uh, any sort of like youth self-governance or self-convening. That's how the mob action thing came to be. Um, and it just seemed like it was just hard to be a teenager anywhere. Mm. Unless like they just wanted everybody to to be separate from each other and not enjoy being a teenager. Yeah. Um, Unless you had a rave to go to. <laughs> right. Which I think is, you know, like that, that point and counterpoint, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, right. um, yeah, I don't think they were angling for more raves. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mayor Dilly is like, how do we get these kids to rave more? <laughs> uh, they were af- definitely after those uh, 
tax evasion people. Like hmm. that that's how the rave laws, there's rave laws. There's a set of rave laws on the books. Mm. Huh. Um, and it's basically based on tax evasion because they started to learn that like hundreds of thousands. All these cash only yeah. things, yeah. But um, you know, the to get back to the part about whether it was harder or more sanctioned, I think that's where the history of segregation in Chicago comes into play. And also, I think the the double-edged sword about segregation is that people are comfortable around their own as well, Mm -hmm. right? So especially like uh, immigrant communities, um, like Little Village, um, just to continue to that to bring that cycle, like mm-hmm. uh, new generations or extended families coming into the same neighborhood. Yeah. Um, yeah, enclave is different from enforced segregation necessarily. True, you right. know, Yeah. So I, I think um, there were areas and populations that had some relationship or correlation with um, class and um, crime rates in the neighborhood mm-hmm. where like if there were more serious crimes to care about, the cops weren't going to waste precious time trying to find graffiti writers. Okay. Hmm. So those permission walls were a lot easier to get sanctioned by like the mom and pop shops. Um, mm-hmm. Can I paint the side of your like convenience store? Word. Um, that kind of stuff. And then um, unsanctioned spots would just run longer in more industrial spaces. Right. And so there's a, a huge... Mm-hmm. There's, you know, and that's vast pretty much like all around the city where you could find um, sort of industrial waste. Especially as, yeah, as it was starting to decay and, and, yeah. get, and be abandoned in the capital flight right. to the suburbs and to, you know, developing nations. Hmm. So that's interesting. So now, you know, and again, no implication here. Let's say from what you've heard, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, are there places that 20 years ago you never would have thought to paint that people are painting now? Um. You know, besides in offices. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, that's almost Orwellian right there. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, I'm glad to still cruise Instagram and find that people are, are still, like, painting the sides of trains. Hmm. Like, I, I'm glad that that part of it um, is still alive and well. Yeah. Because um, I think that that's, like, really... Um, sort of like the root of it still, you know, uh, I think it's always been an homage to New York because that's the sort of like the way that it got founded. Right. Um, <laughs> For those who can't see, including you, I think you missed it. Daniel did an obligatory BX, BX sign, <laughs> but he hit it under the table. Yeah. And didn't I, say I, it out I don't loud. need to make a big deal. Out of it. <laughs> but things must be done. There is a decorum we must keep. <laughs> but that, to your point about Orwellian, that's the thing of all of the, you know, the, the double edge of uh, criminalization and then privatization for profit. When I see sub, like subway cars that have ads on the outside of them, mm-hmm. that, <clears throat> that actually makes me angry um, is thinking about like, oh, so then the issue was never that that space had to be pristine. It was that you couldn't profit off of that space or it was out of your control from a corporate standpoint. Right. So it's not that there is something on the outside of the train. It's that the thing that was on the outside of the train wasn't reinforcing what you wanted to be there. And so now you can sell Pepsi and you can sell AIG health insurance and you can sell whatever you want on the outside of a train. But those artists are still in jail. Right. Yeah. Still in prison. Yeah. 
so in thinking about people still doing that now, um, you know, there's like a mystique about it and some of it has to do with the New York stuff and, and, and the history of it. But when you see a piece on the side of a train passing or you see it on Instagram for that matter, what 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 feeling do you get? Is it like a, a continue? That's a leading question. Let me just ask. What feeling do you get? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think um, it reminds me that people exist and can create entirely different dimensions for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, to <laughs> live that kind of lifestyle <coughs> is a different dimension. Mm-hmm. Like you look at the world in a different lens mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. your personal life is different as well. Um, so it's like, I, you know, I, it's like Zen almost to, to, or, or getting into yoga or like the way that either as a soloist or in a very small tight knit crew of people that, that make that kind of work, like you really have to be focused. Hmm. Um, you try to minimize the distractions in your daily life. Like you do your research, um, and it's just like it's like this secret world. You're super careful about like who gets knowledge passed on to them, um, who's what's too risky to share, yeah. like all of these things that like you know met- better. Maybe some of that information should just like die away and never be like resurfaced again. Like right. it, it almost gets like into this like crazy, crazy like conspiracy theory type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but. The, that's the feeling that I get. It reminds me like of when I was younger. It hmm. reminds me of when I used to run around and um, nothing could hold me back from like just conquering the city. Yeah. Is there any um, old headism you have to uh, like resist? <laughs> Is there an equivalent to like a, a, a boom bap mumble rap divide? Um, it's... Um, there's a war going on out here. Okay. No man is safe. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> I think we know which side you fall. Double rap divide. I think there's a civil war between street art and graffiti. Huh. Mm. Um, and it's like... Um, Can we as, get just like a community definition on the distinction? Yeah. I, I, I think I'm pretty diplomatic as an educator of this. Um, so street art uh, has recently emerged and I would say like the last 10 years and it's very much icon based um image based character figurative based um and it, the intention is for mass appeal right um and graffiti continues to be this cryptid coded mm. vernacular mm-hmm. um that you can't as a lay person necessarily even read what's written on the on correct. the side yeah yeah that illegibility right yeah. Mm-hmm. I I think um, and uh, graffiti operates in crews, and I have not really seen street art as organized as crews mm-hmm. in the same way. It's individualistic, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, there's a definite. The gripe is money right away. Uh, graffiti writers are frustrated that brand new street artists are getting large sums of money and they feel like they haven't put any work in, in the streets. They've never done this life, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They weren't at the open mic at sub T. <laughs> That's the equivalent. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what I counter that with is like 
when in the last 25 years was it your motive to make money? Mm. Like it's always been your motive to disrupt. Yeah, if that's not your game anyway. Right. right. Yeah. So why are you mad now? Right. Because right, right. it looks too close. It was, oh, you mm. couldn't get money. Right. That's what it was. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so I think there's people that are successfully crossing over. Mm-hmm. And I see that there's a, a a niche of people struggling to cross over. Mm. There's, um, I think there's this sort of like uh, comfort zone in like being in a graffiti crew for 20 years mm-hmm. and you just gas each other up and you're in the same circle. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And then somebody tries to like transition and be like, I'm going to do the street art stuff because I see all these other people doing it. And then they get hit with really harsh realities of like, damn, you're, you, as an artist, you just suck. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wait, that's not the way that I've been perceiving myself. Right. So, so, so right now, where are you placing yourself in that spectrum and in that tension? Um, I always have a, a foot in both worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, which is a tough thing to do in war. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not even just meaning yeah. that as a joke. Like, no, like when seriously. those tensions build, yeah. that's a tricky position to be in. I know where I'm going to fall on when it comes down to it. Yeah. Yeah. Which side are you going? I'm out definitely on the graffiti side. I had a okay. feeling. It's like, yeah. let's burn everything down. Yeah. 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 You know. From the inside. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, I almost made a bad joke. <laughs> I'm glad you did. <laughs> Are you not going to say what it was? I'm not. Oh, man. I'm not. So the suspense is killing me. You have to, will you tell us afterwards? Just yes. leave okay. it in the tweet draft. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to go back to a question that I asked early and I a follow up to it. Um, I asked about like the city changing and how that changes the way you see places. But you mentioned something about uh, some of that zenness of seeing the street and the world around you as a different thing than what other people see. And the thing that feels akin to that is how when I walk downtown by Federal Plaza, I don't see a Federal Plaza, I see a place that I protested. Or I walk up a street that most of what that street is to me is a site of disruption. Um, Are there places in the city, walls you look at, experience like places where you had experiences that might mean one thing to everybody else, but to you they mean something really different? Yeah. Um, damn, I just got associated to like uh, a bad memory. <laughs> but um, right, if you're going south on the 994 and you're about to exit on 18th Street to go into Pilsen mm-hmm. on the expressway, it got cleaned now. But for several years after the accident, uh, you could still see the smoke and the burn on the, the side barrier. But that's the site where Afro and Evil got killed. Who, um, who were they for those, including me? You don't know. Afro and Evil were young graffiti writers uh, in their early 20s. And I want to say, what year is it? 19 or 2018? <laughs> Shit. Um, <laughs> man, maybe it was about eight years ago that they passed. Hmm. And they were pulled over on the side of the expressway because the car they were in Uh, got stalled and they were waiting for someone to come and either help them uh, get out of the car or get the car fixed so they were just safely on the shoulder but there was a a drunk off-duty cop Mm. that was driving Mm. that slammed into them from behind and their car exploded (sighs) and they both died in the fire Mm. (sighs) and you probably passed that spot yeah it's my neighborhood yeah that's like when you're getting off the highway yeah Mm. Man. That's terrible. I had a, that reminds me, 
I think cops drive drunk a lot on duty. I bet cops are drunk a lot. This is a new because there's no accountability. I have photos of drunk cops. Yeah, actually, um, no, this was a part of the the dissent decree. All the stuff with the Department of Justice Mm -hmm. is they part of part of the FOP contract. Basically allows like I, I'm 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 getting like they can't get I, I can't remember basically. this was like a year and a half ago where we were like looking through the contract but there's like no way to like you they get 24 hours to be tested for being drunk at any time huh. so like <laughs> it's basically designed for officers to be uh to be able to be drunk on duty with impunity wow <laughs> and 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 that you know most there's a, a they're disproportionately you know veterans of war right and then they are engaged in violent activity on a day-to-day right. basis which is traumatic right on so, both sides so, you so, know. right so these are traumatized people uh who are traumatizing you know and then and then you know the connection you know you don't want to be uh generalist but the connection to like irish heritage and like you know alcohol being you know a cultural part of hmm. of just policing many of them are drunk in on in some time. mcnulty shit oh, <laughs> yes yes exactly it's a deep poll yeah. but it's what came to mind <laughs> nah definitely some mcnulty shit uh yeah man fuck 12 uh did y'all see my pumpkin? My Halloween pumpkin? <laughs> I have not seen your pumpkin. Great oh, transition. Bro. I'd like to see Great this pumpkin. Great transition. And can we post this pumpkin on our Instagram? <laughs> Absolutely. Fantastic. <laughs> I wonder if it relates. Oh, it does relate. Perfect. Oh. Oh, absolutely. For those listening at home, it says fuck 12 on the pumpkin. <laughs> With some real, uh, the, the, the lettering really just, it brings me back to, to folkloric dance. <laughs> yeah. Designed on my iPad. Shout out to Apple. Word. Word. So <laughs> Sorry, and sponsored yeah. by Apple. Is that, is that pumpkin, pumpkin somewhere? Yeah, it's at my house. Oh, okay. <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. There you that's go. So, <laughs> so uh, it's just about that time. Why don't we... Is it? You want to ask someone? I have so many more questions. Run with it. It's been an hour. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. We're going to no, we're, we're we're, we're go over a little bit. I apologize. Um, so you, we, we've talked a lot about, and this is like a theme throughout the world, definitely on the show, of like creative, you know, subversive people who inter, inter, interact with institutions, secure the bag, liberate the resources, redistribute them, right? And it, right. I definitely see you in that lane. Uh, what is the line that you see for yourself and what is the line you think we should have as a community in terms of accepting bags or interacting with the bag? Yeah. Um, bag interaction. <laughs> I think, well, let me see. I'll start with myself. Um, I had to learn about the range of bags available. Mm. That's huge. (laughs) That's an important part. Because you think there's no way that there's that much money. And then it turns out they just have a shit ton of money over there that they're looking to do something with. Right. In order to understand how deep the disparity is. Mm. Yeah. Right. If I would have never... questioned what else I could do beyond teaching I would have never known that like teaching is chump change Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um and nothing against teachers or no but against the 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 chump change yeah yeah, yeah. right chump change against the chump change definitely teachers should be paid like doctors yes absolutely um and so it's like I just left teaching. I was teaching at a college for the last eight years, and I decided not to renew my contracts and go all in and just, like, wow. bet on myself. Congratulations. Thanks. Yes. Taking that step. Yeah, much love. Yeah. So I've been a lot broker than I have in a, lot, in a long <laughs> Congratulations. time. Congratulations. <laughs> um, you know, it, the brokenness is reminding me of my early 20s, but um, 
everything feels a whole lot better right now. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it reminds me of people that I've spoken to over the, the years that have transitioned from working corporate jobs to opening their own passion uh, businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, because I also have run marathons in Chicago. So I, I started to talk a lot of, around coaches um, and people that just are like consultants and starting their own businesses around whatever they're passionate about. And I've just been really taking notes from everybody. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, like there's these like uh, telltale moments in their lives where like you're either going to continue to do this and you're going to end up regretting this for the rest of your life or you're going to risk it all no matter how bad it gets mm-hmm. and you're going to turn a corner. Yeah. Um, and, hmm. you know, I've, I've, I've heard enough of those successful turn the corner uh, stories enough uh, coupled with um, knowing internally that I've done my due diligence and know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm like, yeah, there's just no way to fuck up now. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the tricky thing is that you the you hear all those stories of the the corner turning, and then you and you go, oh, so then people's corner turns, but then you go, oh, maybe I'm just not hearing the story where it doesn't. That's the that's the like the fear voice in the back of your head. That's uh-huh. how you end up playing with scared money. Is you go like, you only hear the success stories where it worked out, but maybe th- that's been my experience. Has that been your experience? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think I always... Failure without it being fear of failure. I've I've failed businesses. I had a gallery that was only like seven months old. Mm -hmm. um, And I've tried stuff out that that I've just lost dumb money on. (laughs) Um, But I've always... I think because I've lost money early, I've learned to ask other people like, you you know, what were earlier attempts or what were all the struggles? Like, I had the chance to... um, to interview Mr. Cartoon a couple mm. years back. Oh. And I just went through all of like, I just fast forwarded. I'm like, we know how amazing you are. You got this, 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 and this, and this, and this. But we're in a classroom of teens and adult um, college students for just a small amount of time. So could you tell us about all your failures? Hmm. And he was like, yo, when I was 17, I could have um, started working at Disney. And it just like fucked me up. I got too scared. So I got high and I just didn't show up Mm. like those kinds of things. Like, and then, you know, like he was like, he just went in, he had so many failure stories Yeah, and it's like, it's a learning curve Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the the failures become the lessons. Right. And then it's like, every time you go back to bat, you're just a little bit more informed. You Mm -hmm. make a little bit less of a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. On a physical level, that's what strength building is. It is like pushing your body to a point of failure. But at a place where it can heal from it, right, right. Yeah. So the other thing that I want to want to get to, we we got to get we got to go back a little bit, and we got to you got to talk. We got to figure out moms and pops. We, I, I need to know <laughs> what was going on at the crib, and you know, obviously they, you know, your people, whoever they are, are dope in some type of way that that you would that you would live in in, in, in their life <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know. I'm just really curious as to like, you know, name your household environment, who are the folks that like encourage your creativity the most and how do you have the freedom to be driving and to be on rooftops and to be at raves as a basically you sound like you were prepubescent when you started yeah. getting it in. <laughs> right. Yeah, I I'm think I'm at a rave. <laughs> basically. Um you know, I, it's like uh, the perfect storm, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I grew up in kind of a toxic ass household. Okay. And I was the negligence was my safety net. Mm. Like if I could stay invisible in the house, mm. that's where like I was best myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was raised by my grandparents living in a household with my biological mother and her siblings. Um, and I was raised actually believing that I was one of those siblings. Mm. So um, there's that um, sort of whole other okay. episode yeah, to unpackage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then like being raised by my grandparents, my grandfather um, was from Mexico and only had like a third grade education, um, but just was completely like street savvy and socially smart. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the first people to think of putting generators on um, parade, uh, sort of like- uh, Like a float? A float, yeah. Wow. And he used to bring uh, full-on Mexican bands. He was a promoter. He would bring <laughs> bands to, to Chicago. Mm from different parts of Mexico. Oh, wow. And like, they would record albums and go on tour. There's like That's some so songs cool. about them. Wow. Like all kinds of wild shit. So um, just being on the fringe of like the entertainment sort of industry. Yeah. And they owned a bar okay. um, that was like grimy as hell, um, like Pilsen Dive Bar in the 80s <laughs> when it was like dangerous, dangerous. Where? Um, right across the street from Honky Tonk on 18th and Racine. <laughs> okay. Which is, do you still stay over there? Yeah, I'm still yeah, over there. Yeah. Do you have a, a, a piece on that? Uh, before we get out of here, definitely want to talk about the social consciousness campaign that you were talking about before I be silly. Yep. Uh, and, and that you, yeah, go ahead and just, the, I, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll lead into it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a series of fine art prints that are coming out November 15th. Um, and uh, the the type on it says, teach boys consent. Mm-hmm. And that phrase came out of like ongoing dialogue in my kitchen uh, with uh, Gabby and Geddon and just talking about like what community looks like right now, how messy the artist community can be mm-hmm. um, and how like interwoven community arts and for lack of a better phrase, like um arts and entertainment is in mm-hmm. Chicago, mm-hmm. right? Like the local like scene, whether you're like throwing parties or being a promoter or you're in the music industry, like, um, and just like how like, for me, it was listening about stories, horror stories, and then thinking a layer back, like hmm. w- what happened in these generations that are allowing people to maneuver this way right now? Mm-hmm. And so thinking that question, but also pulling back and saying what was happening when I was that age group and what was accountability looking like then. Hmm. And so the sort of things that I started landing on was that there's a lot more individualistic, transient, transplant, moving around, um, less ties to, uh, to family structure right now. And... Back then, we had large extended family immediate ties mm. where accountability would be an ass whooping from an older brother or a cousin or a gang or 
whatever that looked like. There was in a community. plethora of folks waiting to whip mm. your ass. If right. You that away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, the world was whooping your ass. <laughs> yeah. How the times have changed. On the bad days, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, so I think, and there's there's a lot of validity in that because even gang culture back in the '80s had limitations mm-hmm. because people were in extended families and opposing dynamics and there had to be some sort of compromise or even like within living in the same neighborhood opposing gangs had like some sort of compromise to coexist in the same neighborhood because mm-hmm. gangs used to be like block by block mm-hmm. right um so i think a lot of that infrastructure of accountability um is not present right now um and then just being a dad of four people and thinking of like what can i do what can I say to try to minimize the damage mm-hmm. or to try to proactively um, raise children in mm-hmm. a way that knows to look for yellow and red flags? Mm-hmm. So We don't hear enough about the yellow flag. Oh, man. The it, yellow flag is important. And you need to slow down more than it, you need to stop a lot of the uh, time. Yeah, yeah. 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 I like that. Um, sure. And it's just like, uh, and you know, the patriarchy is like a fucking mess, right? Yeah. So taking on like all of this, I just thought like Teach Boys Consent was a really concise way to start addressing such mm-hmm. a complex issue. Yeah. How do you define it, consent? Consent can be given and retracted at any moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should be respected at any time that it's retracted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, How do you, th- and beyond even just this particulars, we've talked about like yeah. expanding the idea of consent beyond like a sexual, sexual moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, Damn, yeah, you want to just... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's about, about, it's about permission and agency, right? So that's even... It, it even strengthens my, like, abolitionist politic, right? Because what the state does through policing is grant certain... Authorize certain individuals to be able to encroach on or violate anybody's consent, right? Like, I can take your body right. somewhere you don't want to go. Um, you know, I think <clears throat> oftentimes just representative government overall is a way to... It... it, 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 it quells dissent and often operates without the consent or violates the consent of not only its constituency but the, the you know the world if we're talking about the United States government um, and so you know also in just like in decision making in, in community spaces and organizing right like it doesn't always have to be I don't want to be touched right now which is primary right like in the physical right. sense but using doing things in my name without my permission um us be, being a part of a group that is operating in a way that does not you know i do not consent to so even when in our space when we're organized instead of saying do we agree or instead of doing a vote right it's like making space for dissent first talking through that and then asking if everyone consents to to then establish a decision that then at any point can be revoked, right? So no decision is permanent or final. It's always fluid and re-emerging. Um, and then that obviously needs to go back to the home base, the primary base, which is physical, and specifically the way uh, women, children, queer, gender non-conforming, poor people's bodies, specifically sexually, has been... Vi- like our, our culture, our, our global culture, has been built on conquest and colonialism and slavery, and those were violations of consent and rape were industrial parts of that, right? And right. so we have to heal from the fact that we, our, our peoplehood, our nationalities are defined by, the, by these, you know, 
um, horrible violations that were so normalized. And so it's, it's everywhere. It's like it's, it's in the, the micro of all of our interactions. So here's one micro that I want to ask that I think you might be uniquely positioned to answer. When you put up a piece on someone's wall without their permission, that is a violation of consent by that definition. Yes. How do you think about that? Mm. <laughs> Dissent. Hmm. <laughs> there it is. What do you mean? <laughs> um, you know, if I put up a word theoretically, theoretically, <laughs> um, it's usually on state property, hmm. so it's dissent against the government, right. right? And it's public, so there is right. a theoretical where you have owners. You are part of the collective ownership of that space. Hmm. Correct. Interesting. Do you think that that's part of? Do you think that that analysis? from your experience with other writers is, is part of it? Is that that idea of like reclaiming public is part of it? Or is there like, is the rebellion with a cause for a lot of folks in that way? For graffiti writers specifically? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. Hmm. Um, I think it's a slippery slope to start assigning um, agendas to populations without their knowledge of doing it intentionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, and we see people do that a lot in the commodification, specifically of hip hop, but in general. Oh, sure. There's, that's what the lecture circuit is built off of. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. There are 15 college talks happening today about exactly that, doing exactly that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the correlation between the age group of when people start doing graffiti um, and what their intentions are are much more personal and interpersonal mm-hmm. in sort of. Uh, trying to build out an identity, uh, a, a personal identity and a social identity and like a community identity. Hmm. Um, and I think the attraction for it is that it's like a second chance at a clean slate. Hmm. If you were dealt a really shitty set of cards, graffiti is very uh, much a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. And because of its anonymity, there's a lot of um, judgments that get withheld because nobody knows what you look like right. mm. and so we can only base you off of the work that we see in the city mm. and that for a, a lot of people is a plus mm. that's beautiful mm. so that maybe make more community around that that's beautiful yeah all right accountability covered now let's really it. now be- let's really get into okay. accountability <laughs> <laughs> so there's a sect of the world I'm 26 now that I say in my lifetime has run amok and I shall have no more for it and here at Ergo Radio we, we have we have taken the stand and we invite all of our guests to do so with us and that population is R&B singers I'm nervous so every week you are on a, a lukewarm seat the seat is not a hot seat <laughs> okay. but every week we invite guests to play our game beef with an R&B singer <laughs> <laughs> and why so if you think about it right in hip-hop right even the gang culture you were just talking about right that that you know hip-hop is in relationship to that that street type of consciousness there is built-in accountability right so even if it's even if it can be done toxic or it's limited or it's if you, punitive yeah yeah if you step out of bounds right you're gonna get a diss track mm-hmm. right if you step out of bounds you're gonna have some type of situation and these R&B singers have been untethered <laughs> for at least a generation. And as we've done the research, it seems like longer. Maybe since the beginning. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Uh, and so we invite our guests to start beef with an R&B singer and tell us why. Beef with an R&B singer with Kayla. Oh, man. You're going to have to edit out a very long pause. That's fine. That's, that's cool. Think cool. About yes. Comfortable. Yeah, yes, it's yes, a tricky yes. one. Yes. No, it's serious. We, we don't want to do it uh, lightheartedly. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
I mean, it's it's difficult to. Oh man! Yeah, my mind's going through like. You can have multiple Spanish songs. Well. That works. That works as well. You can we go, expand. We've 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 opened up the R and B is loose a, a, a loose container. Lots of things have rhythm and lots of things have blues, <laughs> and lots of things have run a mark. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's just uh, let's reexamine uh, Shaggy. It wasn't me. Okay. In, in 2018, let's do it and talk about gaslighting. Yeah, ah, uh, you you fit right in the pocket. <laughs> it, uh, that was it. That was it. There it is. Exactly. Ah, uh-huh. and it was original. I'm, nobody's done Shaggy. Nobody's done Shaggy. Oh, that's phenomenal. <laughs> that was from. Oh, I'm so satisfied. Oh, I I feel I, I have feel little, centered. Look, 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 you see, I have little yeah, goosebumps. Damon literally has goosebumps right now. <laughs> A perfect RBB just happened right before your eyes, people. I hope you enjoyed it. So Thank do you. not play. It wasn't me anymore. Delete it from your Serato. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least play it in private. Yeah, minimum, yeah. minimum play it in private. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming through and chopping it up with us. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Where can, uh, where can folks find you in the ways you want to be found? Um, I'm on Instagram at K-A-N-E underscore O-N-E underscore. And my website is K-A-N-E dash number one dot com. Cool. Thank you so much again. It's been such a joy chopping Thank up. Thank y'all. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this is yeah. beautiful. Much love to the people. Peace. This episode of Ergo is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so we didn't.